to me, that's what being relentless is. You just keep fighting no matter what. Maybe you have to pivot on what the goal is. Maybe you have to adjust and, and edit, uh, but you're still going to keep pushing and you're not going to let anything beat you down. And to me, that's what anyone who wants to be successful has to do. Hi, and welcome to the Empowerment and Courage podcast. We are your hosts, Ellie and Coco, two former college athletes on a mission to empower you to believe in yourself and encourage you to go after your dreams. Every week, we speak with professional athletes about their journeys, about everything from hardships and motivation to the true meaning of success so that they can inspire you with their unique stories. We are so excited to say that we are finally on Patreon. So if you like our podcast and want to help us make more and better episodes, you can become a Patreon today and get access to exclusive behind the scene content and other community perks. You can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash empowermentcourage and you can also find the direct link in the episode description. Thank you so much for your support. In today's episode, Ellie speaks with Katie Hoff. She's a former professional American swimmer, a eight-time world champion, a two-time Olympian, and a three-time Olympic medalist. Today, Katie is a best-selling author, a keynote speaker, and a co-founder of the company Synergy Dryland. Katie speaks about the relentless attitude of wanting to become the best from a very young age and what it was like for her to compete at the Olympics when she was only 15 years old. She also shares how to deal with expectations and what she has learned from managing the disappointment of realizing that not all things turn out the way you want them to. Retiring from professional swimming in 2015, Katie explained what it was like having to give up her athletic career because of her health condition and how she found her identity outside of the pool after that. Today, Katie shares her experiences and learnings with others and released a best-selling book, Blueprint, an Olympian story of striving, adapting and embracing the suck, in 2020. Hi, Katie, and um, welcome to our podcast. It's so great to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to chatting. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I do too. So first of all, I just wanted to know kind of how you're doing, how everything is um, for you over in the US right now. Everything's good. You know, things are, are slowly but surely starting to open up. And I feel like we're all catching a glimpse of, of normal life for the first time in <laughs> over a year. Um, I'm fully vaccinated now. And so, um, yeah, things are things are going really well. That's awesome to hear for sure. That's good. We hope that we can see, yeah, the end um, or more normalcy <laughs> soon. Definitely. That's good. And um, to kind of get started, I wanted to ask you kind of like a few short questions just to get you know you a bit. Um, so just answer basically the first thing that, that comes to mind. Um, yeah, absolutely. So first of all, what is your dream travel destination? That's a tough one because I feel like, you know, obviously the tropical, you know, Bora Bora Maldives, that type of thing um, is beautiful. But I honestly feel like, you know, the next trip that my husband and I want to take is more um, like a Europe wide trip just because I, you know, I was able to go to Europe a couple of times through swimming, but 
that's not, mm-hmm. I mean, that's pool and hotel, hotel and pool. And so it's not really allowing the ability to, to look around and, and, you know, we're big foodies and we love wine. And so I think that's probably next on our list when everything opens up um, to, to plan that out, you know, a, a two week, three week trip. That's awesome. Any specific countries or kind of like, yeah, go to different countries in Europe? Yeah, I would say um, Spain, France. Um, I loved Mallorca when I was there in 2004. Um, I would say, I mean, definitely looking at, at Greece as well. Um, you know, obviously that's my first ever international trip in, in 2004. <laughs> so um, those are those are the ones that are top of mind right now. But um, definitely want to do some exploring. Obviously, if you have any recommendations, uh, you, you, know, you know the area better than I do. Uh, so yeah, just starting to build out what that trip would look like, which is just fun in itself. Yeah, that's awesome for sure. I mean, we're in, um, we're not in Spain right now. We were in Spain last year and we're in France right now. So can definitely recommend both of those. I think it's, it's great here really. So you'll enjoy that when you get to go. Awesome. Yeah. And I wanted to know as well, um, what one thing is that you're really good at, but that people might not know about you. Oh, geez. I feel like I'm such an open book. (laughs) I, oh, something I'm really good at, but people don't realize. I feel like, I mean, I'm, I feel like people know this. I'm, I'm really, you know, organized and, and OCD. And I think that comes from swimming and that's very much carried over into my, uh, you know, regular post-swammer life. Um, I don't know if there's anything. I, I mean, with my book and everything, I've, I've been super, super vocal about just who I am and, and things I'm good at, things I struggle with. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if I have anything um, that people don't know already. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing then. If you've been so open about everything that you're not hiding any like yeah special talents or anything like that. <laughs> I wish I could say I have, you know, like I'm really good at juggling or I'm just, you know, a really great cook, but I just don't have those things. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Well, you have a lot of things that you're good at. So that's that's completely fine. Um, and as well, what is one favorite memory that you have from your swimming career? One favorite memory that's so hard. Um, I always go back to, to Melbourne, Australia. That was, you know, the 2007 World Championships. Broke my first re- world record. Um, you know, the, the team that year was just, it was such a fun team. We, as the U.S. team, we swam really well. Like, everyone was breaking records and winning medals. And so um, I just look back on that meet specifically. Also, I love Australia because swimming is is king and queen over there. Um so, yeah, I think that's that's a memory that I always go back to that I will always cherish and, and look back on, you know, very fondly. Yeah, that can, I mean, I can imagine that's difficult picking one. You probably have a lot of different memories, so it's a tough one. <laughs> it's tough, yeah, and I, I think it depends on, you know, the lens you're looking at it. Like, is it your favorite meat, meat because of how you swam? Is it your favorite meat because of people that were there around you, the, the location, there's so many factors, but I feel like the reason I picked that meet is that it's a culmination of everything coming together and, and just the stars aligning and, and all of those things being perfect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And um, who is your biggest inspiration? My biggest inspiration? 
Growing up, it was definitely people like Summer Sanders um, that, you know, were, were very versatile. Tracy Calkins, those people were, you know, very versatile in the sport, dominant in, in all different strokes. And obviously being, being a, you know, individual medley specialist myself, uh, that was always very inspiring. I love how they carried themselves. They were such good sports. And so those two women in particular now that I've moved out of the sport to some extent, I look at more people like Jesse Itzler or Sarah Blakely who just have dominated the business space and are, are at the same time balancing a family and really being able to find that uh, partnership. I think sometimes there's this idea that, especially as a female, you have to choose one, you know, having a family. I'm not a, a mom yet, but I want to be. And so having a family, but also being able to be very successful in a career is really, really inspiring and important to me. So I would, I would definitely off the top name those two as big inspirations. That's awesome. Definitely. That's awesome. And um, another thing as well, what is your favorite Sunday routine? What does that look like when you wake up on Sundays? Sunday routine. Well, we usually do a lot of, um, so with our, we have a business, my husband and I called Synergy Dryland. And so we work with a lot of different swimmers, triathletes. And so we do a, a good deal of our programming for them for the week ahead. Uh, usually in the mornings, I would say coffee, snuggling with my Frenchie, and then usually just preparing for the week. You know, Saturday is usually the day where, you know, we'll go to dinner, we'll spend time with friends, and I always feel so much less stress going into the week if, you know, I've got everything set, groceries, <laughs> all that stuff, the boring stuff, but, um, and then I would say at night, just being able to wind down and spend time with my husband is always a, a great way to end the weekend. Okay, perfect. So getting that organization done, like you said, you like to have everything structured so you get that done on Sundays. <laughs> and um, speaking about, you know, going out to eat and everything like that, what's your favorite meal, if you can pick one? Favorite meal? I'm a big steak girl. So last week we went to this really nice steakhouse and they had, I love doing the family style sides. You know, you have the broccolini and, and the stuffed potato and, and a really good steak with a glass of wine. That's for sure my ideal. Like if I got one last meal, I think that would be what I would do. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and uh, if you could watch three movies or TV shows for the rest of your life, which ones would you pick? Oh, geez. I feel like I'm gonna go TV show just because I think you get way more tired of a movie. Like you, you know, you can have multiple series of a show. Mm -hmm. Gotta go The Office for sure. I would say that's so hard. Friends has always been a big one for me, and then, man. <laughs> it's really tough yeah I would say I mean I think funny and lighthearted is is always a, a good one um yeah I'm just gonna stick with with those with those two classics for sure yeah that's funny you say that those are actually two of my favorites I'm like re-watching Friends again right now so <laughs> definitely they're good ones yeah when I was younger I had all like all 10 box set DVDs I was obsessed so you know, you throw out a line from friends, I could probably tell you episode the one where and season this. <laughs> so that's good. That's an easy choice then. And uh, if you could pick one account on like Instagram or YouTube, someone you follow, like an artist, maybe another athlete, uh, musician that you follow and that you think we should check out as well, who would that be? I would say, hmm, 
In terms of inspiration and motivation, I think like Rich Roll uh, is, is a really, I was actually um, just on his podcast and he just does such a great job of balancing, I think, you know, the realness, the inspiration, the vulnerability. He, he's a, a, a big one to watch and follow. In terms of just fun and I feel like any type of, hmm, any type of fit, like fitness account, I think it's always, I always love getting different inspiration from Peloton instructors or, um, you know, different other, I don't have any one particular, I think it's hard, that's hard, a hard one to, to think of on the spot, um, but I think, you know, being able to have multiple people that I follow that have different exercises and, and fitness inspo, since I'm always looking for that um, in my own life, is something I, I really value. Okay. Okay. That's perfect. That's yeah. Perfect answers for sure. Um, that was actually the last one of the short questions. So I wanted to go back and speak a bit more, you know, obviously about your career in swimming. Um, and I wanted to just go back to like the very beginning of your sports career and understand better how you got into swimming, um, and when. Yeah, I got into swimming really just because there was a really cool older kid in the in the neighborhood who was doing summer swimming, and I said I wanted to try it. I tried it. I was really, really uh, small as a kid, and I was really cold as a kid, so after one season, I quit, but kind of got bit by the bug again when I saw some of my friends doing what we call year-round swimming, so... It's obviously not just in the summer, it's you're part of a club. And so when I was seven, I asked my parents if I could join that team, again, just because I wanted to be with my friends and have fun. But at that point, you know, it was twice a week, it wasn't serious. I hadn't really found my competitive edge or competitive streak quite yet, but I knew that I liked swimming and, and was passionate about it. Okay, and did you play like any other sports growing up as well, or was it just swimming like from the beginning? I did tap, uh, like tap and ballet for a short stint when I was five and six, but pretty much from seven years old on, I was not a coordinated kid. So pretty much from seven years old on, it was, it was all swimming. Okay. Okay. And obviously you did become very good at swimming already at a young age. So, I mean, do you remember if you had one moment where you were like, okay, this is it. Like I'm going to become a professional swimmer or yeah. Do you remember like knowing already at a young age that this is what you wanted to do? There are definitely a couple moments. I think starting around eight or nine, I, I really had moments where, you know, it clicked in, in workout of, you know, how to push to that extra gear. I call it the deep down gear. I, watching the 2000 Olympics, watching Caitlin Sandino, who was only 17 at the time, win a medal. So I was like, what, I just turned 11 at that point. And seeing that, I think, was a... a big moment for me. Uh, being able to see Team USA, it looked so cool. Obviously at that point I had no idea what went into making an Olympic team, but I think around 10 or 11 it was like, okay, like I wanna do this, how do I do this? And I'm locked in and certainly didn't think that four years later I was gonna be on the team in 04, but I I was pretty locked in and drilled into that uh, at, at 10 <laughs> or 11. Yeah, yeah, very, 
very young, very early, like you said. And like you just mentioned as well, in 2004, you actually did make the team and you did compete at the Olympic Games um, in Greece. So that's obviously a very young age still, being 15 years old and competing at the Olympic Games. So, I mean, what was that experience like to be at the Games being so young compared to, you know, a lot of the other athletes as well? Yeah, very surreal, uh, very overwhelming. I don't think I was prepped for for what all that entailed. You know, at that at that time, you know, even a year out, I was just shooting to make the finals, top eight at the Olympic trials, to to set me up for two thousand eight. And so my progression of of dropping time and and getting faster in that year was crazy. The trajectory was crazy. And so all I could think about, you know, a couple months out was just making the team I hadn't really prepared for. Oh, once you make it, you then have to go and compete. And, you know, that was my first time on the national team, on Team USA. It was my first time away from my parents for more than three days. It was my first time out of the country. It was just a very naive, just turned 15 year old. And so I really didn't have the confidence to support that and, you know, obviously, as the results show, yeah, I had a really rocky start. I rebounded a little bit and still was able to make a final in my 200 IM. But it was uh, definitely a crash course in, in growing up and handling expectation and pressure and competing on a really big stage. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine for sure. And then after that, obviously, just um, four years later, you qualified again um, for the Olympic Games that were in Beijing. And at that time, you were 19 years old. So I mean, just during four years, when you're younger, especially, you can see a big difference, I can imagine. So in what ways would you say that, you know, your approach and maybe your perspective had changed going into the games for the second time? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I feel like I was a completely different person. You know, definitely just first and foremost, four years of international experience. You know, at that point, I had then swum in two world championships. I'd swum at some other uh, international competitions. And so I just felt seasoned. I felt way more confident. I had, you know, I wasn't scared of some of my races. Like the 400 I am always terrified me. Uh, you know, it still definitely hurt, but I, I felt like I had a handle on the strategy. I felt like I understood how to compete, you know, against some of the best in the world. I just had, I just had that wisdom and confidence behind me. Um, although <laughs> I kind of turned off the up the volume again, being that I decided to triple my event schedule. So that was the twist in 2008. Is I I felt ready. You know, I was breaking at that point. I had broken a world record in my best event, uh, but I was still upping the ante on myself in terms of events, in terms of expectations. Yeah, absolutely. And I wanted to say as well, because going into the 2008 um, Olympic Games, I know that the media and a lot of people were referring to you kind of like as the female Michael Phelps, you know, and there was definitely a lot of expectations on um, those games. I mean, how did you deal with that being still young? Um, even if you were more prepared, I mean, that's a lot of expectations and pressure coming from, you know, outside sources, other people. How how do you deal with that going into a big competition like the Olympic Games? Yeah, definitely felt like a whirlwind. And, you know, I think when I was in the middle of it, I didn't even realize how much it affected me. Now looking back and the way that I even viewed my games, viewed my accomplishments, uh, you know, Going into it, I, I mean, coming off of trials, I'd, I'd won five events. I'd broken two American records, broken a world record. You know, I was I was ready. I felt confident. 
But I think as we got closer and closer, pressure kept mounting. And then, you know, when I didn't deliver on the first couple days of the games, you know, the, the screws started really turning in from myself, from others, from the media. Like, hey, what's going on? You're, you're not winning eight gold medals. You're not winning multiple gold medals. Um, even though some of my races were really great swims for me, you know, right off best times or best times. And so, uh, you know, now looking back, that definitely played a big part in my narrative in terms of was it a successful game for me or not? And at the time, I felt like I had failed miserably, which is unfortunate, obviously, because people always ask, like, was it just so fun and so amazing? And it's like, well, <laughs> not really. It was it was really stressful and really intense. And, uh, you know, now looking back, I can appreciate what I accomplished. I can appreciate watching, you know, Olympic games now in the past, um, you know, winning a medal is winning multiple medals is, is a great accomplishment. So yeah, it, it, it was really tough, but it definitely toughened me up and, and gave me the perspective that I have today. So yeah, yeah, I can imagine I was going to say that as well, because even though you did leave the games with like a silver medal and two bronze medals, um, the media still painted it up as if it was, you know, a disappointment. And like you said, you yourself couldn't really appreciate it, which is um, really a shame because there's so much going into it, you know, all the hard work that you put in, um, all of the preparation to, to get there. So that's really, I mean, it must be difficult to deal with that, like just the time shortly after the Olympics. How did you kind of manage that? Like the feelings of you know maybe disappointment from other people but also from yourself you know like managing the expectations that maybe you had for yourself to to perform in a different way yeah I, I didn't handle it well <laughs> I think uh, I, I pretty much just shoved it down and was like all right we need to move forward and I need to keep going and you know at the time I also had a coach transition which was really tough and you know, I, I talk about that pretty in depth in my book um, but mm -hmm. Yeah, it wasn't in, you know, it wasn't until years later that I really faced it and addressed it and came to terms with it. And you know, I just don't think I was ready. Although I feel like if I had been maybe ready a little bit better, it, it would have helped my my upcoming years just in terms of my relationship with the sport and, and passion with the sport. Uh, so I definitely went through some rocky years after that because it, it was a tough thing and, and I was disappointed and I really didn't grasp how much that affected me, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally, um, until I, I really turned around and faced it and, and addressed those emotions and feelings. Mm -hmm. And you said that you were working, obviously you were switching coach and everything. Um, were you working with a mental coach as well, like during your career that was helping you kind of with this mental side of it, managing, you know, expectations and um, the mindset that you had going into different races? You know, I, I jumped around a little bit and I think even back then, what, that's 13 years ago, it, it wasn't, mental health wasn't as prolific, it wasn't as talked about. It was something, yeah, this is something you should do, but I just don't think it was as forefront of people's minds. And I definitely tried to go to someone after 2008 and tried to work with someone, but you know, it, it's a two-way street when you work with, with a therapist and you work with a you know mental health coach. And I just wasn't ready to open up. I wasn't ready to, to give and I just didn't really click with anybody. So I, I really didn't find someone during that period of time. And I know if I had it, it really would have helped a lot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine because that's obviously a big side of sports as well. And like you said, it's maybe more recently that people have come to understand that that plays um, maybe even a bigger part than actually like the physical part of it uh, when it goes to, yeah, it goes into professional sports. So that's, um, 
definitely important. For sure. And uh, I wanted to say as well, because obviously, like you said, they're dealing with all of this after the Olympics ga- Olympic Games and realizing, you know, that things don't always maybe work out the way that you want them to work out. You can't really decide exactly what's going to happen and plan it into detail. Um, you know, what would you say are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned? I don't know if you can kind of summarize a bit, like the things that you learned from just realizing that, that things might not work out the way that you want them to, to work out. Yeah, I think two things. I think, you know, definitely even after 04, after 08, you know, I kept getting back up. So there's this, this point, I think in my life where I've taken enough risks. I've put myself out out there a lot at, you know, failed at times, triumphed at other times. And I'm, I'm a very relentless person. I'm I'm always going to get back up as long as I'm able to grab on to a goal, grab on to maybe sometimes it's, it's a, it's a family member or a mentor. Um, but I will get back up. And I I think I've kind of ripped off that bandaid of, okay, well, there's nothing to fear anymore because I have gone out on a limb and and fallen and I've gotten back up again and I've proved that time and time again. So there's that piece which is kind of a weird comfort in in anything in life, right? I'm I'm 31, <laughs> so I have lots of life left to live. And I think the the second piece is being able to understand that, you know, with the failures when it doesn't happen, it doesn't just mean it's a wash. And I think that for the longest time, it was like, okay, well, I just wasted all these years. I wasted all this effort and I didn't get to that ultimate goal of winning an Olympic gold medal or you know whatever that may be in someone else's life. And being able to understand, yeah, but all of the things that you did to get to or shoot for that goal, like understanding daily wins, um, being relentless, establishing, you know, that dedication, all of those skill sets don't leave, don't vanish if you, you know, narrowly miss something or you don't achieve a goal. And so I think being able to understand that helps a lot with being able to come to terms when you don't accomplish something because I still have those things. I still can apply though that skill set that I developed over a 20-year career to my life now into the future. Um, and it, it kind of softens the the pain and the hurt that you feel when you don't accomplish a big goal, which sucks, but it's okay. You know, it's okay to feel the hurt, but just turn and, and take some time to analyze, well, what did I pick up from this experience? What did I get better at? What what opportunities did I just conquer because I was shooting for something so high? Yeah, so those are things that you can definitely still continue to use um, today in what you do. And uh, you mentioned relentless there as well. And this is actually something I wanted to ask you because I, th- I see this word, you know, coming up a lot on like your social media and the different things that you do. I mean, what does that mean to you to be relentless? And where do you think you got this from? Yeah, relentless to me means showing, I mean, the official definition, but but not mm-hmm. not showing any signs of a decrease in, you know, strength, a decrease in pace, being consistently uh, hardworking, being consistently gritty, no matter what happens. And obviously, you're going to have those moments when you, like I mentioned, when you fail and you're like feeling like you're in a free fall. Uh, but being able to look at that, take a moment to mourn, 
embrace it and move forward and keep fighting. And I think that's some, to me, that's what being relentless is. You just keep fighting no matter what. Maybe you have to pivot on what the goal is. Maybe you have to adjust and, and edit, uh, but you're still going to keep pushing and you're not going to let anything beat you down. And to me, that's what anyone who wants to be successful has to do. Like, it's not just going to be a straight path. It's not just going to be an easy, you know, jog up the mountaintop. It's, there's going to be roadblocks. There's going to be people maybe punching you down. There's going to be, you know, unexpected curveballs. It's just life. And so I think to me, it's, it's one of the biggest qualities that I value in myself because I think it allows for success no matter what happens. And it might be really, really hard sometimes and you might feel like you can't keep going sometimes, but because you have a relentless spirit, you you just will. Like you will, it will just happen because you have that quality. Yeah, and have you like always had that in you or do you know kind of like where it comes from? I think it's, I think it's partly maybe, yes, like when I was younger, it was internalized. It was just born like that. Like I just kept going. But I think part of it is learned where, you know, I think my first ultimate failure was on such a large scale, you know, in front of the whole world in 2004 at just 15. And I think it, it, it tested me. It was like, all right, well, are you going to stop? Do you care about swimming still? Do you still have high goals in swimming or are you going to keep forging on and figuring it out? And I think because I chose to keep forging on and figuring it out, and I think that instilled in me like, oh, wow, like I, once I got over that hump, wow, I do have this ability and, and I can get back up. And from then on out, it was, okay, like that's just life. You just have to keep trying and getting back up and, and it's going to happen probably a handful, five, six, seven, eight times, but you know, I, I have that ability and I, I keep proving it. And so I think once you, like I mentioned, once you rip off the bandaid and show yourself that you can, the sky's the limit in terms of the amount of times you can keep fighting and getting back up. Yeah. So it's basically something that you've learned as well, like throughout your career, like the different things that you experienced, um, something to rely on. For sure. Yeah. And I think that's, a, that's an important piece too, is it's not just God-given, just born with it. It's just, you know, it happens. I, I think that um, anyone can learn that as long as they're willing to put themselves out there and and deal with that discomfort, um, which is a really painful, vulnerable, vulnerable place to be sometimes, but very much worth it because you then have that foundation um, and backing throughout your life. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we spoke a lot about now kind of like the tougher times, like the expectations and things that didn't really go as planned, but um, you also did have a very incredible professional career. Um, you're an eight times world champion, two times Olympian, uh, three time Olympic medalist. So you did achieve a lot of things uh, during your swimming career. And looking, you know, at all of these achievements and all of the experience that you have thanks to swimming, um, what would you say that, you know, success means to you? Because it does mean different things to different people. So like, how would you define success in your life? Yeah, I, and I think what you just said is is a really cool thing. Like different people define success a different way and that's totally okay. And I think to me, swimming, people always ask like, do you still swim? And I always say, I don't. You know, so to me, it's finding a vehicle 
that gives you this extraordinary feeling that makes you feel extraordinary. And for me in swimming, it was being the best in the world. And that was my goal. And that gave me that unique, special feeling. Now, when I retire, what success looks like is very different. Again, it's, it's how do I find that and uh, chase that extraordinary feeling. And that was the biggest struggle for me is going from, okay, success for me is setting a really high goal, chasing after it, working everything to the smallest degree to get there and achieving it. And then when I stopped, it took me probably four or five years to realize, okay, you know, my, my next goal of feeling extraordinary is now being able to share my story, influence others, impact others positively with my story and with my experience. Um, and that became my new goal. Very different because it's not as quantifiable, right? I don't touch a wall and it says number one and that's pretty obvious. Uh, it's it's a little more gray area, but that's that's my new chasing of being able to at the end of a week, at the end of a month, the end of a year, say, okay, I, I have that extraordinary feeling, and and that means I'm successful. Yeah, so it's definitely changed then throughout the years. It's not so much about success in one thing; it's more what makes you feel successful in the different things that you choose to do. Yes, I think that's the hardest yeah. transition for people in sport is in sport, it's so black and white. It's you accomplish it, you don't, you know, celebrate or deal with it. And in, you know, afterlife, quote unquote, in the business world and speaking and in whatever you choose to do, it's just not that way. And so you have to really fight and be relentless to redefine that for yourself or you'll go crazy, you know, for five years, I, I just didn't have that fulfillment. I didn't have that satisfaction. I couldn't figure out why. And I just had to keep chasing that extraordinary feeling in the same way that I chase a goal. Like I had to chase it in the same relentless way to actually find it just as when I had it and I knew what it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. And I wanted to say that because you said there obviously it was difficult after you retired from swimming and you did retire after discovering um, a health issue uh, with blood clots in your lungs. So, I mean, I don't know if you can explain a bit what that was like, because obviously a lot of athletes, they may think about, you know, retirement and what they're going to do after and kind of plan it in a different way. But for you, obviously it ended in a different way than I believe that, you know, you thought it would. Um, so what was that time kind of like at first when, when you realized you had to retire? Yeah, that was a, that was a really tough time. I think when you have to end something not on your own terms, it's, it's usually pretty painful. And for me, I've never, I've been very fortunate throughout my career. I never really dealt with any big time injuries. I, you know, I was, I was relatively healthy with the exception of a couple strains here and there that took you know a week to heal so to to get diagnosed with a pulmonary embolism which for for listeners who don't know what that is because I didn't it's uh blood clots and I had two of them in the bottom of my right lung um didn't realize how scary that actually is uh until I you know understand the stats and how many people lose their lives every year and and just you know for me it went so long undiagnosed for seven weeks that, um, you know, I built up a decent amount of scar tissue in my lungs. And so ultimately had to retire because 
it, it just wasn't working. You know, you, in swimming, in any sport, but specifically swimming, you really, really need your lung capacity. And I had, I had actually made a comeback um, for 2016 after taking, you know, about a year off just for the very reason of enjoying the process again, being passionate about swimming, being able to go to Olympic Games and actually enjoy it. And so doing this comeback became very miserable and I became very depressed because I was constantly just fighting for air. I, I didn't feel like myself. And that's really ultimately why I made the decision to retire is I just thought this is this is not the point of this comeback and and I need to, you know, find something new and close this chapter and, and move forward. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine that was that was a really tough time. Like you said, first of all, making that decision to move forward, but then also finding, you know, what to do next. Cause I know a lot of athletes they're kind of like struggling to find their identity, you know, after like if it's outside of the pool or outside of the field, whatever it is that they used to do. So what was kind of like your journey to finding what you're doing today and finding, you know, this, um, like you talked about before, like this deep down gear that you talk about, how did you find that in, in something else? Yeah, it, that was, I, I did a lot of different things. People always ask me that. I'm like, just try everything. Like if it doesn't work, it doesn't mean you failed. Just keep, keep pushing forward. Right. I think that's what I had to do and leaning on, on people around you that know you best. You know, I, I had a really, strong family uh, group around me. I had my husband, I had some mentors. And so in that moment, you're not thinking logically, you're thinking emotionally. And so I just had to kind of go through it and deal with it. And, you know, I thought I was going to be a dietitian. I thought I was going to be in operations. I thought I was going to, um, you know, be in fitness sales. Like there's so many different things that I kept chasing. And and for me, it was just, I didn't really take the time to reflect on my career, understand it, come to terms with it. Again, there's that athlete mentality of just move on, move on, move on. Don't deal with anything, right? You just have to be tough and, and forge forward. And that doesn't work. <laughs> there works at times in the middle of a set, in the middle of a practice when you just need to be tough, but it doesn't work on the mental side when you need to address your feelings and, and embrace some things. And so for me, that's, that is part of why I kept bouncing around because I kept not finding that satisfaction because I was just not the best version of myself. And so it really took someone shaking me and, and people giving me some tough love of, you know, you, you need to stop, you need to work with someone. And, and that's ultimately how my book came out is I, I was ready to speak candidly about things that happened in my career, how I felt about it. And the book was more therapeutic than anything for me. Like, yes, I wanted to get my story out there. Um, but being able to create my book and, and be very vulnerable in it was a big turning point for me and, um, you know, really allowed me to feel empowered to share my story and gain that confidence back and then ultimately be able to be the most confident version of myself, which allowed me to find, you know, attract things that I enjoyed and, and ultimately find that extraordinary feeling. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I still have my days like everybody, you know, where I'm like, what am I doing? What's going on? You know, but uh, I definitely have a much better grasp and feeling of confidence over my life, what I'm doing um, and how it impacts me and others around me. 
Yeah, absolutely, for sure. And I think, you know, like you said, obviously you're at a different, a very different uh, place today than what you were um, right after when you retired uh, back in 2015. And I wanted to speak a bit more about what you've been doing now um, after swimming, because I think it's so amazing how you've been taking all of these experiences and all of these learnings and putting them into what you're doing today. Um, obviously, you got a lot of things going on. You're a best-selling author, uh, you're a keynote speaker, you're also a business owner. So starting with the book there, like you mentioned, um, it came out in 2020. And it's called Blueprint, uh, an Olympian story of striving, adapting and embracing the suck. So I wanted to hear a bit more about it. You mentioned some small things there about sharing your story, obviously. But when did this like idea come of writing a book? Have you always thought about doing that at one point or how did it kind of happen? Yeah, I always had that feeling that I should put a book out. Um, but every time I sat down, like even in, you know, 2016, I sat down and I started just just on my phone and then typing it up on my computer, but I I clearly wasn't ready because every time I started typing certain moments in my career, I would I would break down and it was like, okay, this is not working. And so I kind of pushed it to the side and ultimately and I talk about this in the book, being a being asked to do a TEDx talk was I had no idea it would be such a turning point, but it was the first time that I had decided to give a speech and be really honest about certain parts of my career. And the reaction from the audience, from others was so positive that it made me think, okay, well maybe I can actually share my story, even the negative parts, the parts that are painful, and it can still be a, a positive impact on others. You know, my, my worry was always, well, I don't, I don't wanna share the rough stuff because what if that just comes off as negative complaining and all of that? So that was why I always was just like, again, move on, move on, move on as an athlete. And so that really sparked me of, okay, well, maybe maybe I'm ready to, to, to go down this road here of writing a book. And, and I try, I wrote like 40 pages and I, I realized, okay, I need a coach because like anything in life, <laughs> you, you need accountability, <laughs> you need someone to push you to that next level. And I just wasn't getting there on my own. And I'm also not a professional writer. So um, respect to authors who just are, are amazing at that, but it's just not my strength. And so um, I was just fortunate enough to be paired up with a ghostwriter who I was very skeptical at first. I was like, well, how, how, I know you're a professional novelist, but how are you going to capture my voice? <laughs> and, you know, right out of the gate, we clicked really well. Um, he, you know, sent over some samples after we, you know, we met on the phone three, four times a week and he, he nailed it. Like my husband was like, he says, he sounds like you better than you sound like you. <laughs> just, uh, so just, it just kind of was a match made in heaven and was really fortunate to find someone so quickly and then obviously the pandemic made it that we, from from the moment I decided, okay, let's do this, let's let it rip, to let's publish this, it was a year. So that's obviously in, in book writing and publishing terms is, is really, really quick. And, you know, my agent at the yeah. time also had already, you know, done some research and connected with a, a smaller publisher that could, could get it done really quickly. And so it all kind of just fell into place and, and happened very, very fast. <laughs> That's awesome. That must feel so great too as well, having it published and yeah, getting a lot of people really, you know, liking it, relating to it. So that's, that's really great. And we do want people listening to the podcast to read your book, obviously, but maybe you can share like 
I don't know, like one of the key message, messages that you hope that people can take away from the book and kind of like apply to their own lives, like a teaser to why they should read, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So the, the the story behind why it's called Blueprint and the re it, it was so hard to come up with a title. People always say like, it's just going to hit you. You're just going to know. And, and, and ultimately it did. It was after getting about halfway through the book, writing it. It's like, okay, well, what does, what do I want my message to be? Why am I, why should people care? <laughs> like, why, why is this story impactful to others? And, and my, my blueprint in the beginning of my life was I'm going to make five Olympic teams. I want a ton of gold medals. And like, like anyone, everyone has a blueprint, but in order to be successful, you have to adapt, you have to edit, you have to pivot. And that's what I have had to do for my entire career. Things don't go according to plan. Things don't go according to the original blueprint, as any architect would tell you. And when they're building a house, it, it doesn't, you know, they've got to make edits. They've got to make changes. And so I really think that that's the key to success and overall happiness is you can't get stuck in what your original plan was because it's like life for those you curveballs. This pandemic was a curveball. Like people need to make adjustments. And so um, in order to do that, um, you have to be okay with being relentless, embracing the suck a little bit. And that ultimately is going to allow you to move forward and, and accomplish new goals and, and be successful and feel extraordinary. And, and that's what I hope my story inspires others to do. That's amazing, really. I want to read it. I haven't read it yet, but I'm definitely going to order it and read it now. So I'm looking forward to that for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome, really. And I wanted to say as well, apart from the book that you've written and recently published, um, you also launched your speaking career not too long ago. And um, you're running a company together with your husband, like you said before, called Synergy Dryland, um, building you know dryland training for individuals and for swim teams. So I wanted to just tap into that and see kind of like, what your goals are um, with these two things moving forward. Yeah, that's uh, that's been, well, launching a speaking career in the middle of a pandemic is very interesting, I will tell you that. <laughs> so I've done a lot of virtual things and, and really, really excited to uh, get out there and travel a bit more and actually get to you know connect with people in person. And the Synergy Dryland thing has been wild. You know, it's nothing, it's something that happened I started giving free workouts live to thousands of swimmers when when kids couldn't be in the water and really the the I guess the why behind that was when the when everything hit and things all shut down and, and kids couldn't be in the water we wanted to you know my agent set up kind of a series to keep kids engaged keep kids involved keep kids motivated and my thing was, oh, I don't want to just talk to these kids and say, stay positive, say, embrace the suck. Because if I was in their position, I would, I would be so frustrated by that. Like I would want to do something, physically do something and feel empowered. Like I'm staying stronger. And that's where I said, well, I'm just, I'm, we're just gonna make some really hard workouts and sweat it out together. And, and that's how it kind of all started. And then, you know, the response to that was, more, I mean, we're at, at a year right now of, of when we really started to provide not only the live workouts, but but more programming around mm -hmm. these athletes, around these teams, um, not only when they're out of the water, but now transitioning back into the water, obviously doing a lot less cardio type of things because they're getting enough cardio <laughs> in the pool, uh, but, but making these athletes feel like they have power over their career, like they can 
stay strong, um, stay powerful, all of those things that dry land um, for swimmers really does. And so uh, we just continue to build. And, and my ultimate goal is to you know, work with as many athletes as humanly possible so that when they're standing behind the blocks, they feel the most confident they possibly can. That's amazing, really. That's so cool. It's uh, awesome to see that and cool to follow you guys as well as you continue to do that. That's a really good uh, mission and purpose behind it for sure. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's been really fun. And also fun doing it with your husband, right? I think uh, yeah. being able to, we are a very good uh, team. You know, I have the lens of, of being a swimmer, understanding, you know, what type of movements benefit swimmers specifically. It's a, it's a very unique sport given that, you know, gravity is not playing a factor. And so <laughs> I think uh, being able to have my experience there and then he has uh, so much experience uh, in terms of programming, in terms of understanding the physiology, and he's the the brains behind the operation in that way. So it's a it's a really great partnership, and always fun to do uh, do something you're passionate about with someone you love. Yeah, for sure, that must be cool and a lot of fun, like you said, <laughs> for sure. And apart from obviously like these professional objectives, you know, with the speaking and also with the company, um, it's very clear that, you know, you strive and push for excellence in all the different things that you do in life. So I'm kind of curious to know, like, what types of goals you have for yourself to continue to like grow and develop as, you know, a person, but also as an athlete. Yeah, that's a great question. I think, well, the athlete piece uh, is tough. I haven't found a new physical goal that I'm striving after, mm -hmm. you know, for me. Um, I always try to get in about five workouts a week, 45 minutes, just to, just to feel like I already worked out this morning, just to feel stronger, to feel um, healthy, to, to look fit, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> and I think, you know, in terms of the business, you know, I, I, I'm constantly striving to, I think, reach new lengths or reach new heights in each bucket and I love having different buckets you know like our our synergy dryland we have the goal of wanting to you know reach as many teams and athletes as possible and and partner with you know a really big swim brand um which stay tuned for that um and then <laughs> with you know my business skills like I still love sales I still love connecting with people um I still love learning new businesses so you know I work with um a, a, a business in legal tech as well um and, and I love that side because I'm building up that skill set and then with the speaking um to me that closely relates to swimming the most because you're you practice for it you you really try to craft a message that relates to people that people can understand you deliver that message just like you would deliver a performance in the pool you have adrenaline you're nervous and then you know it hopefully goes well and you have that you know feeling of extraordinary after it so uh the speaking is definitely one of the buckets i'm probably the most excited about and most um looking forward to continuing to develop that skill set and ultimately you know hopefully being on you know a big stage uh, with one of those greats like tony robbins and and stuff mm -hmm. like that so um yeah it's it's kind of cool now that i'm out of swimming it's not just one area like i'm, I'm focusing on multiple buckets and all of them you know fill up and, and give me that extraordinary feeling um together which is mm -hmm. is really um how I found that I'm most motivated, most happy, uh, and just overall satisfied with life. <laughs> that's amazing. For sure. That's cool that you found that, you know, the things that 
you want to do. So that's, yeah, that's super cool. And I know I've taken up a lot of your time already. I had one more question, um, if you have a few minutes left to answer, because um, obviously you've been giving a lot of advice already, um, answering the different questions that I had, but I wanted to ask if, you know, you could give just one piece of advice to other people who might be listening to this, who also have big goals and big dreams, but they haven't yet reached them or realized them. Uh, what would that advice be? I would say two things. I would say always trust your gut, your intuition. I think there's a lot of times in your career or in your life where maybe you're not sure if maybe it's scary to jump out and make a decision that's going to further you to that goal. Uh, maybe it's not the popular opinion. Uh, maybe it makes you super vulnerable. It's a big risk. But if deep down after you know, talking with your mentors, talking with your family, if deep down that is the feeling that, and that's the direction you need to go, trust yourself. I think we know best deep down what the answer is. And there's definitely been times in my career that I wish that I had felt empowered to just trust my gut. Uh, so that that's number one for sure. And then number two, I think really being humble enough to reach out when you need help. I, you know, you don't always have to be tough all the time. You don't always have to do it alone. And forming that, what I call the trust tree, those individuals in your life. And it doesn't have to be just one or two people to cover all facets of your life. It can be a variety of different people uh, that you can turn to be vulnerable, that they can give you tough love, that you respect, that you have two-way trust with. That's so, so important. And I think I, I had it at certain times in my career and I certainly have it right now, but it's, it's something that in times that are tough, when you're chasing after a big goal, you're going to have moments when you just are in a free fall and you need one of those mentors, one of those people in your trustee to grab you and pull you back up. And so that having that in place is, is really, really important. That's great. That's great. I love both of those. It's easy to forget, but so, so important to remember. So thank you so much for, for sharing that. Absolutely. Yeah. They seem so simple, but when you actually are in it, you're like, wait, <laughs> I need to have these things. Exactly. Hold on. I need to remember that. So yeah, that's great. Really. And I want to say thank you as well for taking the time to, the time to speak. It's been a pleasure really. And so interesting to um, yeah, learn more about you, learn more about your story. And obviously I'm excited to read the book now so I can get a bit more like in depth, of course, because it's difficult to, to cover everything when you have like one hour to speak. So um, yeah, looking forward to that and to following you as well. It's been so great. Thank you so much, Katie. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe and give us five stars. It really means a lot to us. You can find all the links to Katie's social media in the description below. And for more information about us and the podcast, follow us on Instagram at easypodcast underscore. And to help us in making this podcast even better, become a patron at patreon.com slash empowermentcourage. Thank you so much for your ongoing support and see you next week.